Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you're in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Today's guest is Rosemary Swerp. Rosemary is the president and founder of Direct Steel and Construction. She has 30 years of experience in the real estate development and construction space. Over her career, she's won a whole mess of awards and recognitions, including most recently in 2021, Cranes Chicago named her one of the most notable women in construction and design. Additionally, Rosemary serves as ambassador at the Women's Business Development Center and is also a state-appointed board member at the Small Business Development Center. Uh, she's been featured in magazines, uh, news interviews. She's been a speaker in panels. She's got tons of insight on real estate and construction. And me and Will kind of feel like we're, we're in a little bit of a construction royalty around here is a little bit what it is. So, Rosemary, with that, uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Justin, well, thanks for having me. Awesome. So, uh, Rosemary, I, I gave the the quick synopsis, but you t- you tell us about you. You tell us how you got started in construction, and then tell us uh, a little bit of the history of direct steel construction. Sure. So, I'm a business major at an Indiana University, and out of school, I was hired by Black and Decker, and Black and Decker had me traveling all south of the Mason Dixon line, and I did well. They promoted me, put me in Boston, and I did well there. And I got recruited away and back to Chicago, which is where I was born and raised by an independent manufacturer's rep agency. So at any given time, I'd represent 12 to 15 different manufacturers. Again, really feminine products, toolboxes, abrasive wheels, adhesives, and lubricants. <laughs> and I did well, but in that time frame, I met my husband. And we ended up getting married and we talked about having kids. And both of us felt it was important one of us stay home. And It didn't matter in 1988 that I was the breadwinner by a large margin and his salary couldn't pay her bills. In 1988, men just did not stay home. So I helped him start his company. After a couple of years, it was clear that he'd be able to pay the bills. And I'm on my work. I'm on my way to work and I'm pregnant. And I kept passing a dilapidated building. And I came home one day, told him I put an offer in on it. So I got rehab this building and secure a tenant. The tenant was a bank. And as I'm looking at this pro forma, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a good business plan. We were blessed with two daughters who slept 12 to 14 hours a day. So I kept buying more buildings, fixing them up, either renting or selling them. And I did it again and again. And the projects got larger, additions, ground up construction, shopping centers. So over the course of many years, I created a couple of different real estate development companies. In 2004, I started being asked by other people to general contract for them. And that was the beginning of direct steel and construction. At that point, I had no intention of ever marketing it. In 2005, however, and I can't tell you what compelled me to do this, but I sold most of my real estate holdings. Little did I know that that was the peak of the market before the worst economic recession of my lifetime. So I just got lucky. As we look forward to 2009, 2010, the economy's crashed. One daughter's in college, the other one's in high school. Um, I live less than a mile from mom and dad. Dad had passed away three years earlier. So 
I'm looking at direct steel and I'm like, you know, I've never marketed this company, but I think I can do something with it. But who was building in the Chicagoland market? No one. So I followed the money and the federal government had used the economy with ARRA money, American Recovery Act money. And I quickly learned that getting government work is kind of like getting your first job. You can get the work as long as you have experience, but you can't get the experience until you get the work. I got a list of 660 Department of Defense prime contractors called everyone and got one opportunity to be a prime subcontractor to build a flight simulator facility at Creech Air Force Base in Atlanta. And that led to little work with the Army Corps of Engineers, Department of Energy, NAFAC, VA. And as the private work came, started coming back, we did work for companies like Navistar, Unilock, TC Industries, Intermatic. And now we've got this really nice balance between both public and private work. No, I mean, that um, that's, you know, diversification, right? I mean, that's what it's, it's about, right? The, the public work can be good, government work can be certainly good, um, but having that private work as well just gives you a little little bit more safety, I guess would be a good, good word for it. I can definitely um, understand the pain with, uh, you know, kind of the chicken and the egg problem where, you know, you don't have the work, you need the experience, but in order to get the experience, you need the work. Like that's total dilemma. And we see that in a lot of different industries. So, I mean, you did what any entrepreneur would do is just bite the bullet and go at it, find the one, right? You just need one, one to start. So good for you. That's awesome. I appreciate that. That the story of getting the list of all the, the, you know, I, it was was it the uh, Department of Defense or it was some contracts that were obviously government contracts, and then just going through and saying, "I'm calling every one of them, and I'm going to find it." And once you did, then voila, today is uh, you know uh, the story writes itself. So that's awesome. So one unique uh, component, one of the many unique components, is the um, decision to be uh, an owner's rep. CM kind of hybrid, amazing thing in comparison to just a general contractor. So. Um, Tell, tell us about that a little bit. Sure. And before we do that, let's just go back to another one of your comments coming up with that list. And I think it's yeah. important to share how I would derive that list. So for um, small any business owner, there are a lot of resources out there. Uh, the Small Business Development Center throughout the United States, our tax dollars are paying for it. Very few business owners utilize those services. The PTAC advisors, professional technical advising centers, those are a great resource for state and federal government contracting. And it was actually one of those PTAC advisors that provided me with that list. But for that contact, that list doesn't end up in my hands. So it's very important that there are a lot of resources out there that small business owners and mid-cap company business owners can utilize that they might not necessarily know exist. I have taken note of that. I'll make sure I throw that in the show notes for people. Thank you. That's a that's good advice. And then you you're asking about the services. I, I'll take this opportunity to share with you about direct steel and construction. So we offer three services. You're right. We're commercial general contractors. We're construction managers, and we're owners representatives. And all that means is we build buildings, whether it's ground up construction or additions or interior finish-ups. And our focus is low-rise, non-residential. So things like restaurants, retail, office, industrial, institutional, educational, recreational, religious, logistics, cannabis, 
It's really a wide range. And we do have these two market segments that we touched on earlier. One is federal government contracting. So I talked about one at one opportunity, but not too long ago, we completed a $13 million project for the Army Corps of Engineers. We've recently completed a $12.5 million three-story addition for the Veterans Administration. We're currently working on a $17 million helicopter warehouse for the Army Corps of Engineers. Recently, we were awarded a $4 million reconversion of a building um, for the Department of Agriculture. And on the private side, we're building manufacturing facilities, a $5 million one, a $25 million one, a $1.6 million one, a $2.5 million one, and logistics facilities. We currently have five going on anywhere from $3 million to $6 million, um, a large equipment, sales and retail center, self-storage facilities. It's really an eclectic array of low-rise non-residential construction projects. Um, on the federal side, we work as general contractors. The federal government really doesn't provide me another vehicle of procurement. So what that means is we get their architectural drawings and we bid it and the apparent technically acceptable bidder gets awarded that project. That process is wrought with so many traps. It relies on those architectural drawings being 100% perfect, which in my opinion is very, very difficult to achieve. That also, that process also doesn't necessarily provide the end user with best value. So we take those inherent risks and inefficiencies and do our best to remove those for our private clients. So you earlier mentioned owner's rep, and the, what we find is that service was provided because the earlier we're brought into a client's goals, the more value we're gonna be able to provide. So I'll give you an example how that owner's rep ties in with our construction management. An example is um, there were one of our clients, three new business owners who had just bought out two uh, so, sorry, three, three employees who were just going to buy out two long-term business owners. They knew in order to achieve their growth plan, they wanted a 90,000 square foot building. They knew that they wanted to build. They had already brought in a commercial broker. The broker gives us those 20 properties. Now, the way we look at a property is much different than the way a broker looks at it. We look at it from a, a constructability budget schedule perspective. So we see one piece of property that really intrigues us. It's curb cuts are in, first layer of asphalt's there, utilities are in site. But because of our knowledge of things like wetlands delineation, soil suitability, retention detention area, we were able to help them negotiate the cost of that property from $6.87 a square foot down to $1.50. So on 11.533 acres, that saved our client a half million dollars. We also understood their growth trajectory and felt that they may be entitled to some state incentive money. And sure enough, we guided them through that process. They got a commitment from the state for a million dollars in the form of $100,000 a year in tax credits that could flow down to their personal returns. An additional $12,000 for 12 years from the county and property tax reduction. Um, reduction. An additional $300,000 from the city waiver of permit fees, tap on fees, PUD modification fee waivers, and the process expedited. Then we get to sit with the architects and engineers before they've done anything, but after they've done their due diligence. 
In that process, you'll win another half million dollars of value. And I'll give you an example there. We're seated with the civil engineer and he says, yeah, we're gonna put the building at this elevation. And my team and I are looking at each other. We say, hey, any chance you can raise that up? Like, if we ask that question after the drawings are done, the answer is no. But because we're asking it then, he spends about 10 minutes looking at his stuff, looks up, shrugs his shoulders, goes, yeah, why? That one change saved our client a quarter million dollars. So here, we haven't even left the preliminary phase of the project. And our services have substantially facilitated the alignment of four pillars of any construction project, scope, budget, schedule, quality, and yielded our client about $2 million of value. Now think about that, what that does for these new, new business owners who collectively don't have much net worth. By the end of this project, they each have about a million dollars worth of net worth. We haven't even taken into account things that will guide up towards um, cost segregation, accelerated depreciation, a potential that 20 percent pass through tax deduction. Um, and then what happens is when they go to their bank and they need a line of credit, now they've got collateral. So now they're able to grow their business exponentially, continue to grow their net worth in a manner much more quickly, more efficiently, and less expensively than they would have otherwise had that opportunity. It's very cool. Holy cow. It's super, super cool. It's, it's, when I'm listening to you talk, it's, it's, it's like you're thinking, <laughs> you're thinking of it as a business, not a building. It's not, it's not a, it's not a building. It's a business. It's a wow. business. Yeah. And definitely the return aspect, the longer term thinking is there, which is super cool to see. Uh, was that, I have to ask, was that always there or did it take time to figure out, to talk about these values? So as I transitioned from property development, into this, I knew that that was a value I could bring so many business owners, right? There's so many business owners out there that are great at providing their service. They're great at making widgets, but they, they don't know how to utilize real estate to maximize the return on investment and accelerate the building of their net worth. And yet it's available, it's at their fingertips. It took me a long time to articulate it in a, well, in a way that other people were hearing it the way it was intended to be heard. And I'll, I'll tell you what my lightning bulb aha moment was. I'm a proponent of continuing education. So I'll subject myself to, you know, the Dartmouth Tuck executive program. I've now done their first program, but also another executive program. Um, the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program, the SBA Emerging Leaders Programs. And a lot of these programs are free, except for your time and you really do get your butt kicked. So I was attending the 15-week intensive Goldman Sachs program, and you're in the same class, so core about 25 people, and you frequently provide your elevator speech or uh, a brief description of what your company does. And three weeks into this class, I'm seated next to the same man I've been seated next to the last three weeks, and he turns to me, he goes, so what do you do? You sell steel? And I found myself almost angry with him. And yet now I totally thank him because it was the aha moment. Oh my gosh, what's coming? What do I hear coming out of my mouth that's not being heard? And that program forced me to figure out how to articulate the value proposition. And since then, 
the it, it's even we've even capitalized on it even more, brought in more resources, and the value we provide our clients. I'm very very proud of. Yeah, that the the elevator pitch or the the what do I do question. I think that haunts a lot of businesses. So, Golden Sachs. Uh, Training uh, is that a piece of it, but obviously getting the aha moment from your your neighbor, your classmate neighbor there. Yeah, any any small business who's been in business five years, you have to have a certain level of revenue. Um, Goldman Sachs has a goal of educating ten thousand small businesses. I would highly recommend business owners look into it. And I know the first thing is oh, I don't have the bandwidth to do this. Well, therein lies the problem, right? You, you have to figure out a way to find that bandwidth. And that's a, you know, with me, I know once I get out of the way, the business continues to grow. But we're, we're business owners, we're control freaks, and that's much easier said than done. So, so obviously, you know, continued education uh, in lots of capacities is important. What about having mentors? Like, have you found that you, you have mentors or you have people that are kind of in that kind of role for you, even if it's not, you know, uh, a solidified role, it's more of that thing that, yeah, you just have some mentors. What, you know, what do you see the importance of mentors in this? So, so that's been evolving too, because as business owners, we are like, no, I can do this myself. Right. <laughs> so it was in 2010, I think I was uh, awarded the Athena award. And what that was is they gave me free for a year aboard a number of current and former business owners that um, really I forced them to hold me accountable. And they would come in and give different perspectives. And as at the end of the year, I said, okay, are any of you interested in staying on? And they all voluntarily stayed on because they were as learning as much from me as I was from them. And then throughout the course of the year, years, we've kind of upgraded that board as we have elevated. And it, it's, a, it's more of an informal board, but we've turned into mentors for each other, which has been wonderful. But there are a lot of other resources out there. The SBA has through um, their, the SBA has a division called SCORE, and it's a bunch of retired executives who provide their time for free to mentor business owners. That's their sole purpose. And again, that's a free resource. Um, and I, you know, it's not always gonna be perfect. You know, I talked to one square representative and, it, and their knowledge of construction was really weak. And so I ended up needing some director of SCORE, and I said, any chance you got a retired general contractor? And out of their 3,000 volunteers, he found one. And Tom and I became buddies. Um, we, don't, we don't talk frequently at all now. Uh, he suffers from dementia. But the, every time I spoke with that man, there was a light bulb moment. And the value of the right mentor is incredible. But even over above him, there have been so many people within the construction industry, outside of the construction industry, that have taken their time to impart their wisdom. And sometimes I'm, I'm too bullheaded to accept it, but eventually I'm like, oh, now I get what they were saying. 
and I accept it. And sometimes I accept it readily and it makes a big difference. Is this how you network? <laughs> so how I network, when I network, my goal is to see how I can help with whomever I'm interacting. The majority of the time I'm talking with a smaller mid cap company business owner and we're basically walking in the same shoes. And if we're not there to help each other, shame on us, right? Being a business owner, as you guys know, is not for sissies. And so if we can help each other, um, I think I, I think that's just the right thing to do. Why don't you talk a little bit more about your process uh, around how you network? Uh, you actually have a process, which is interesting because a lot of people will just willy nilly it and go, hey, my name is, you know, et cetera, and, you know, give out the cards and stuff like that. But you actually have a process, which I think is constituted as part of your success. And I think it's really interesting. Why don't you talk to people about that a little bit? Sure. Well, I didn't invent this. It's uh, the process called CORE. I don't even know what it stands for. It was given to me many years ago as a suggestion. And you know, the only person I'm accountable for is myself. But intuitively, this process made makes a lot of sense. And Will, I think I provided you the, the little PDF that comes with it. But the goal is when you're contacting people and you're helping them, good things happen. So I think it has me um, contacting 50 to 60 people a week. And they're just quick conversations about half of those people are referral partners. So some people I contact once a month, sometimes, sometimes it's once every four months, and it's just kind of check in, see how they're doing, what's going on in the marketplace, compare notes and see how I can help them. The other side of the 20 or 30 people that I talk to are typically new contacts or someone's calling me and, and asking for help and we're just, going through that process, there's uh, a certain number, you know, of five people that I have breakfast, lunch, or dinner with. There's 15 people that I have face-to-faces, like this would be considered a face-to-face. -face. And then there's one or two seminars that either I provide each week or I attend. And then from that, it is amazing how leads are derived and deals are closed. There's also a thing in there for thank you notes, and I stink at that. So I'd love to tell you that I do it, but um, I do hold myself accountable for it. Um, and I agree with you. I think it works. So what I heard is just because there's a process out there, it's okay to fail at some pieces because you'll still find success uh, in the other piece <laughs> of the process, which is great, right? I do. I don't think that was necessarily the messaging, <laughs> <laughs> but, but the reality is sometimes we have to make do with whatever we have at hand, whatever our personality, how, whatever we're good at and adopt it to our own personalities, right? It's, it, it, it's a system and we, you know, we're not good at everything. And I would argue the program that I've subjected myself to would be that much more impactful if I did the whole thing. So I'm not giving myself a pass. I was just giving you and saying, I rationalize that it's okay. I'm just saying, being honest, I'm not doing it to the extent in which it was intended. But it's, it, to your point, it's still a value. 
I'm really bad when it comes to thank you notes as well. And that's even just in a personal sense, which, you know, my, my son's only two. So it's like, we're, we're starting to get, Oh, you gave us a gift. So, you know, we're, he's going to send a thank you note back. But since, you know, I'm not very good at it and, and J- Jamie's better than I am certainly, but um, it's one of those things where like, we need, we need to be better so he can be better at it <laughs> because it is a good thing. It is like, it is to your point. And if it's in business or if it's in personal, it's just one of those things that, um it really building relationships right it's just it's such a huge component and like you get something in the mail it's just like a thank you note like it's just that's that's great like you know you love it i mean people used to feel good when you get them so that makes uh total sense so um i want to dive into some process stuff so uh when we when we started talking uh you were you were mentioning to us that essentially you started kind of doing some eos uh, entrepreneur's operating system before you even knew about EOS. So tell us about that journey a little bit. Um, you know, now you, you know, traction, it's probably, the book's probably in your office somewhere there, but, <laughs> but uh, tell us about your journey of how you uh, started doing traction before traction was, uh, was known to you. Sure. So as I look to grow direct steel, I was invited to a WeBank diversity, supplier diversity seminar. And and I, you know, as you're learning different markets and different opportunities, you don't have a choice, but you go to what you're invited to, right? Because you, you don't want to, at that point, you're, you, you're throwing spaghetti at the fridge and seeing what's going to stick. And so I attended this conference and there was a man who presented on processes and continual cycles of process improvements. And the presentation he provided resonated. And even though we were staff on three, when I got back, I called him and I said, hey, we're really small, but would you mind coming in and coaching us on this? And he said, no, you're too small, but I'll tell you what, I'll send you the PDF. Well, the PDF was intuitive enough that we put in place what turns out many of the fundamentals is provided in within traction. So we do have since 2010 had a process in place Uh, I think it was called cycle of success, a process in place to have an every 90 day evaluation and updating of those targeted areas of improvements and review of our current processes. So I don't know, maybe five, some years ago, I was introduced to traction and I'm reading and I'm like, boy, this would have been even a lot easier to follow. But, but over and above that, what I found with our cycle of success program was that we were doing a good job of following it, but the staff didn't know why we were doing it. What traction does is it does a wonderful job providing an overall reason why you should do it and the value you can obtain from it. So part of our onboarding process now is you read traction before you come on board. No, what the heck is EOS is a is is a good one. We do that with our with our employees. So I totally understand. For those that don't understand what's happening right here, let me give you the synopsis. Uh, for anyone that's listening, what the heck is EOS is kind of the employee version of, uh, and it really helps bring together um, what the goals are. For, you know how the company approaches things, etc. And it, and it makes it really easy to understand, right? It's not convoluted. You're not trying to politic your way through, trying to figure out how the company works. You know, it's in a book. Like, all you have to do is read through it. It's big print. Like, you don't even need reading glasses for it. 
most of us. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and it's you can have it read in like 20, 30 minutes. So kudos to you, like in implementing that as part of your hiring process. That's awesome. So for the division of the two public uh, compared to uh, private or commercial spaces, it, you know, in, in traction, certainly there's an accountability chart and, and things are broken up. People have certain seats and they kind of sit there. How do you, how do you break that up uh, for the two sides of the business? So, so we have a director of construction, both for public and for private. Okay. They both have experience in both, so they can plug and play, but we, we have one leading one and one leading the other. Ah, that okay, that makes sense to me. And then underneath that, do you have different uh, people or different crews that kind of intermingle, or is it this is one team, this is the other team kind of thing? So we do, they're, on the org chart, they are put in, put in different, but many have played in both fields. So depending on the economy, depending on how things go, you know, they stand at the ready um, because they know how to play both fields. Yeah, it's a very collaborative team, all hands on deck if needed. It, it's, yeah, it's, we're really fortunate. That's awesome. Also, it also probably gives a little bit more uh, creativity or a little bit more, uh, you know, new things to do in comparison to the same bing, 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 bing. So that, that's awesome. So, um, I want to I want to ask something because I think it's really relevant, especially right now with the things that are happening kind of in the market. What do you see the impact on uh, on the business on inflation, you know, the whole supply chain just being nutty and, you know, with the rising prices? Where do you see kind of the economy going? Where do you see things going uh, with your with, with with respect to your business or just what do you see uh, in general out there? So it's a really good question. And it's one that I ask a lot of people that I'm talking with um, because there is a lot of uncertainty. So on one side, there are certain sectors that you can feel that are gonna continue to either maintain or grow. Um, but when you talk with bankers, they're finding that, um, that inventory is starting to grow that um, top line is not growing like it was, that bottom line is shrinking because of the supply chain issues and the cost increases and because of inflation. And I don't believe anyone believes that this is gonna be entirely mitigated before the end of this year. Um, there are so many factors. So as we came out of this pandemic, we're then hit with Ukraine war, we're then hit with China's increased intensity in Taiwan, Iran and Iraq, Saudi Arabia. Um, we've got North Korea shooting off missiles, seem, almost seems like on a daily basis. You have the, the ships at the ports at an unprecedented level and it, that supply chain doesn't seem to be getting corrected. You've got 11 million, something like that, unfilled positions and only less than five, 6 million people looking for jobs. So that's a big challenge. So I don't know, I know that I'm not smart enough to look at a crystal ball and say with, 
definity how this is going to go. But it's one of the reasons why Justin pointed out we've got the diversification. Historically, what we find is when the private industry goes down, federal spending goes up. And I don't, I believe we're getting to the point, particularly with that infrastructure bill, that we're going to see the federal government spending go up. I think we're also going to see state spending go up. Oh, yeah. So for the infrastructure bill, that's actually a great point. So I, I don't follow it as closely because it, it, maybe I should follow it, but where is that? Is, is the spending happening? Are they just kind of betting things out or where, where is that kind of all sitting right now? So that's at a higher level in the states. Um, my understanding is the uh, states know what kind of funding that they're getting. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know the timing on that, but it does. There are certain guidelines that they have to follow, and it takes a while for those I's to get deep dotted and T's to get crossed. But at this point, um, I am confident that the vast majority of that money um, has been it, it. It has a direction on where it's going. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so there's some sort of allocation there. Because you've been in business for a while, it, you've gone through more than one recession, right? It, the, the R word is something that's been on the tip of people's tongues already, probably at least for the last six months, and probably even earlier than that because of COVID, right? What advice would you, and like, if you talk, if we really think about it, you've been in business, so you've got right now the uh, pandemic crypto bubble, you've got the housing crash, 2000, 2008. Uh, 2007 2008 you've got the 2000 2001.com bust you got 1989 you got 1979 like you've gone through multiple rounds of recessions with your business so and, and so you you kind of see in it all right what would you what would you advise owners that are going through it either their first or second time through a recession so I will clarify one of your statements. I was not in business in 1979. <laughs> okay, you see that. Okay, I remember it. I was driving that year, <laughs> so I'm very familiar with the lines at the gas station. Um, the president was not very liked at that point, but yes, I have experienced a lot of um, cycles of the economy. So. I think no matter what cycle of the economy, the number one thing in a business is to have a value proposition and understand it and be able to articulate it. If I were to say the one thing that really catapulted direct steel and construction is that. The second is that value has to have a market, right? So if you value a proposition, obviously it's gonna help people, but is that market big enough to grow? And are you able to address that market? And then once you address that market, look at how the historical cycles have impacted that market. And does your value proposition, is there another market that seems to be offset by it? And then try to penetrate both those markets. So, you know, another way, tell me if I'm told me if I'm talking about this correctly and for the listeners that are out there when you're talking about value proposition you're really talking about you're solving a problem right and the thing that you're talking about is the solution to that problem so you should be able to say it simply and 
that the person, whoever it is listening to what you're solving should be able to self-identify themselves that go, yeah, that's me, right? Is that is that what you're saying? So, yeah. So the, what problem are you solving, right? So direct steel makes the complex manageable for low-rise non-residential construction industry. And we promise to structure solutions that align scope, budget, and schedule to maximize return on investment. And we do that by identifying opportunities. So it's, it's a true value proposition that impacts really the re, ultimately the retirement of these business owners. And so as you guys look at your business, I'm sure you're thinking, okay, how are the services that you're providing benefiting your clients? And what is that worth to them? Are you solving a pain point? And if you're solving a pain point, that's a huge value proposition. I, I once gave a presentation, a woman came up to me afterwards and she was so excited about her value proposition. We do it better, faster, and cheaper, right? And it's just, that's an unrealistic value proposition because there's always gonna be someone better, faster, and cheaper. It's also you know, the, it goes against the triangle, right? Like you can, you can only have two sides of the triangle. You don't get to have something, uh, you know, the price is lower, the quality is better and the speed is faster. That's not reality, right? Like one of those has to not be true yeah. in every, every business. Yeah, that's yeah, true. So if I remember how that goes better, if you want something, if you want good quality uh, and you want it done faster, uh, it ain't going to be cheap. If you want it uh, cheap and faster, it ain't going to be good. And if it's going to be, what is it, faster and good at it? Uh, I don't remember how it goes. Good. There you it's go. It's going to take good. a long time. Yep. There you go. Thank you. I butchered that so, so badly, um, but thank you. So I've heard that so many times and sometimes even two, just the two sides of the triangle is hard you know, sometimes you only get one out of that triangle, right? And you don't know who you're doing business with unless, so that's actually a good question. You know, you, you give a lot of value uh, up front, okay? And you can kind of, you can hear it just by, just by talking to you where that value is kind of coming from. How do people figure out what their value is, right? There's a lot of ex expertise in the industry, and, uh, but uh, that doesn't mean that they communicate it well, right? The value might be there, but you're able to communicate it very well. How did you figure that? How did you learn uh, to do that? And what would your advice be to someone that maybe thinks they know, but maybe they don't? Or Yeah, it's not an easy process when you're looking at your brand and your brand strategy. It's, it's very difficult. So um, again, it was in that Goldman Sachs program that it started me down that path. And by the end of that 15 weeks, I looked at, you know, the background and the goals and the objectives and the vision and the mission statement and what barriers were and what potential our strategies were and who our audience was and insights. So what kind of insights do we provide? And then how should that be positioned? And what are we promising? How do we support? And what kind of tone and personality does our company culture do we want to convey? And all of that 
if when you're looking at that and you're talking with people about it, right? Use people as guinea pigs and talk to about it. And particularly friends that'll say, not just, oh yeah, that sounds good, but Rosemary, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? People who will be honest with you and as hurtful as it is at that time and as frustrating, it is the best thing that they can do for you. Um, at the time when you realized that's the Goldman Sachs thing, how many years were you in business already? Well, I started the company in 2004, but remember, I didn't start marketing until 2010. So it was two years into that starting to market it. I mean, the private industry still hadn't come back um, or it just started to come back. So it was it was an evolution, certainly. Okay. So... Some for those that are a little newer, you know, just figuring your stuff out might take a few years. Really, that's what I'm that's what I'm hearing. And I would agree mm-hmm. with that. That's mm-hmm. my observation as well. Mm-hmm. So, Justin, why don't you take over on the technology side? What do you got? Sure, sure, sure. So um for for tech, tech's an interesting thing when it comes to uh construction side. We we get kind of things all over the place. So just in general, how, how are you leveraging technology to kind of help uh, scale direct steel? Sure. So from an internal basis, Microsoft Suites has been a very good friend of ours. Um, Microsoft's doing a great job. Um, so when we do federal government projects, the goal is to be NIST 800-171 compliant. Mm-hmm. And now the federal government has instituted CMMC level one, level two, um, and, right, you guys know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, <laughs> and, and the, navigating that is again not for sissies. And if you don't know what you're doing, it's almost impossible to do. It would be even more difficult without Microsoft. Microsoft has their uh, a lot of the security uh, that you need to do. A lot of it has to be done internally, right? Because there's people involved. Mm-hmm. But Microsoft has been very helpful. Uh, Microsoft Project, Excel, Microsoft Word, Teams through this COVID has been very good. I was using a, um, a different provider. I was on a phone call with a different video provider early on in the COVID, and it ended up being hacked. And there was exceptionally pornographic images that you just can't unsee. And so I have just opted to stick with Teams, and, um, and which has worked well. So besides that, um, you know, on-site cameras have been very helpful. Um, that drones, so cool, so cool. There are some large GCs that work on high rises that use it for actually for measurements. We, that just is not needed for us. Construction technology and construction is getting um, much more attention. You can see in China, they're building um, concrete buildings using, using 3D printers, right? The, so the tech, certainly it's not to our codes and our standards. And you do hear reports of buildings crumbling, right? Um, but, but that type of technology is on its way. No, totally. Uh, it, in, 
if you don't if you don't do work with the public sector, you may not know what CMMC is, listeners. But <laughs> if you're planning on getting involved in the public sector, you're gonna really really want to look into that because, um, like, will our accept like our sheet of like what the requirements are for the different levels is like so long. <laughs> it's like a 2000 point checklist yeah, uh, yeah like it it's it's no joke it is it's a guideline so nist 800-171 is really it's a self-assessed guideline whereas uh cmmc they are using auditors now to audit and make sure that you are following certain type of guidelines and compliance in order to be able to do business because of confidential information and uh, because they don't want you know like you know, F-35 components out there uh, and the plans out there to be leaked to, you know, to, to enemy states. So, uh, and and this really did happen. So because people were kind of just putting, checking the box rather than actually doing the thing, uh, CMMC came out as a standard uh, to unify. And it's very, in a way, it's very similar to the healthcare standard of HIPAA, which is anyone that's in the supply chain uh, all the way through has to, you know, whether you're subcontracting out a piece with the federal government or the entire body assembly, whatever it is, you have to comply with the standard at a, at some certain level. Otherwise, you can't do business. You can't even bid on co federal contracts if you aren't uh, if you aren't at a certain level with CMMC standards. So that's the very very short version, believe it or not, of what CMMC kind of stands for. So, Rosemary, have you seen that already starting to impact uh, the business, CMMC specifically? So, showing up in solicitations. Okay. Right. So we're we've submitted through SPRS, and we we track it. We've got continual poems. You know, we're 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 going in the right direction. We believe that we are compliant with where we are required to be at this point, and plus a little bit. Yeah. There you go. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, last last question here. We, we've gotten to the end, so that's always good. So, Rosemary, if you can go back twenty years and uh, give yourself a you know a little pep speech or just give yourself a little wisdom to to use twenty years ago, what would it be? Boy, that's a it's a good question. So, my my career path is not been one that's planned. It's been one that's based been based upon opportunity. It's been based upon goals and opportunities. And I know that I've been exceptionally blessed. Granted, there's a boatload of hard work in there. Um, but I think so if 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 my background and my successes and my good fortune is based upon anything. It's probably based upon those two things. Is if you've got goals that are fundamentally sound, and whether that's the goal is to stay home with your kids, right? Or it's it's you know you've got a good work ethic, and or it's you do want to provide value to others that if you use it as your North Star and take advantage of opportunities and the risks that you take take need to be calculated. Um, and I, I tend to be conservative. I think that those are good guiding principles. 
It's interesting that you say conservative because uh, I believe you were pregnant driving by a dilapidated building that you decided to buy. That's generally not what I would consider conservative, but hey, we all have our own definitions, I suppose. So, so <laughs> let me tell you about that building, right? It was calculated. So this building looked dilapidated. It had three layers of drywall in there and seven drop ceilings. It turned out that it was a former bank building. It had three foot masonry walls. It had timber roof construction. So when the demo crew went in there, the guy who I bought the building in came in and said, I had no idea. Had I known that this was the bones, I would never have sold this building. By the time we cleaned up that building, we put new electrical in it, new heating in it, that building shone so or shined. So, but think about it, a bank came in and was a tenant. Banks have very high standards. It was a really good calculated purchase. No, obviously, and it's it's worked out swimmingly for you, obviously, yeah. at this point. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's awesome. Uh, is there anything else you want to share with the listeners? Is there one? Is there a way they can contact you if they uh, they had some questions for you? Sure. Um, I think you see above my head, Direct Steel and Construction has the office phone number, but I don't know if you do some other posting that you want to provide my email address. Yep. Happy to talk with people. But kudos to you guys, you know, for the value that you're providing your listeners. Um, that that. That's really remarkable. Thank you. Well, thank you. Really appreciate that. Really appreciate the, comp the compliment. Thank you so much. Rosemary, uh, awesome. Yes, but you were outstanding. Kind of words and wisdom. One thing that really comes out of the, all of this is that looking for opportunities and, you know, taking the risks where you see where opportunities are. It's kind of gold to the eye of the beholder. Right, one man's one man's gold, another man's trash. Right, it's just how you look at certain certain things. It can be an opportunity for you, and not for someone else. So, and you're taking kind of the leaps of faith, quote unquote, right, in order to be able to do that. Because even in in just now, you talked about well, dilapidated building that actually turned out to be something amazing because bank was in there previously. Right, this is something that uh, I think looking for those right opportunities. It's right for the person that's looking at it, right? Because if you can do something with it that someone else can't see or doesn't have the skill or whatever it is that maybe, you know, this is a way to succeed. And you've shown that obviously over and over again. Super awesome. So thank you. I will drop by your email and, and contact information in the show notes. And yeah, it's it's been a pleasure. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode. If this episode did help you, then be sure to share it with someone else who needs to hear it. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or are looking for additional help on your journey to find more wealth, scale, and freedom in your AEC company, visit our AEC resources page at spotmigration.com backslash AEC hyphen resources. resources.